card to get everything you want, right? <laughs> okay. You know, I was just thankful to have the day off uh, because, uh, as most of you know, I'm an aircraft mechanic for United Airlines. And um, there was a time where I'm, um, right now I work at a maintenance base where I, I'm part of a team that we mainly change landing gear on different aircraft when they're due. But I remember when I worked at the terminal, which is more of a 24-hour thing, and um, you only got a holiday off if it happened to be your rotating day off. So I'm not there now, but we do hear reports of goings-on down there, and I wanted to share one with you uh, as we introduce our topic for this morning. Uh, there was a 737 that was preparing to depart, and um, uh, then suddenly a, a, a passenger had a complaint about his seat, and uh, it was going to cause a delay. And, uh, and so a mechanic was called to, to come up and see what the issue was. And I remember as a gate mechanic going up on the airplane, and you have a plane full of people, and they're all looking at you, and, and they're saying, are you going to make my day or break my day? <laughs> and uh, you smile and do the best you can. Well, I imagine this mechanic went up there, and he was like, you know, what could be wrong with the seat that we'd just find out at the last moment? Um, so he found his way to, uh, to the gentleman. It turned out he was about a 20-something young man. And um, what's, what's the issue? What can we help you with? He says, well, it's my seat cushion. Okay, what's wrong with the seat cushion? It, well, it's a little, a little too firm. Okay. Um, so um, mechanic goes over, finds another uh, seat cushion on an unoccupied similar type seat and takes it and brings it over. And as the uh, passenger is trying it out, a uh, flight attendant said to, I'm not sure if the passenger heard this, but the flight attendant said to the mechanic, you know, he doesn't have to go with us. And, uh, <laughs> but then when the mechanic asked the passenger, how's the cushion? Uh, it, it's good, it's good. You know, and so uh, I think that flight made it out um, okay. Um, you know, do we do that? You know, when our life is a little too firm, a little bit too hard, do we want someone to come along and kind of fluff up our seat cushion on our throne? You know, um, this event is by far not even the worst of all the things that you might have heard are going on on flights today. As uh, self-described uh, kings and queens are trying to expand their kingdom beyond their allotted space to the detriment of those around them. Um, but because this seems indicative of what's going on in our culture as a whole, I thought, I, you know, this morning I want to take a look at, um, uh, a, have a, a servanthood refresher. Let's see if this works. And to do that, we're going to look at, um, oh, this button. There it is. Genesis 24. So please turn there. Um, you know, we as the church are called to be servants. But it's so easy sometimes to forget what that means. You know? So this morning as a refresher, we're going to look at three aspects of a servant and especially a servant of God. First of all, we're going to look at a servant's heart. Now, a true servant reflects the values of his Lord. You know, what the, his Lord loves, he loves. And what his Lord and Master hates, he hates or at least he's expected to do so. You know, when folks look into our lives to see what would God love and what God hates, what do they see, you know? Well, our values 
the, whole, the values that we hold are often uh, seen in our attitudes. And so we're going to look at two attitudes right now related to a servant's heart. And the first one we want to look at is um, and having an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude is, is, is the foundational for the Christian life and service because it, it unlocks the door to uh, peace and assurance that we find in Christ. Because it's when we are sure of his love for us and secure in his ability to save us, it's then that we can look beyond ourselves and look to our Lord and to others to see uh, what's important to them. You know, and, and there are so many reasons why we should be grateful to our creator. Imagine that we have a God who became a man. He came down here and lived amongst us. And he, he wanted to fellowship and be close to us. And yet we nailed him to a cross. And he took upon himself the penalty of our sins, you know, death on that cross. But when we receive this freely offered gift, we become his child. Now, that's important because as his child, now uh, the father and the son welcome us into the family business. What is that? It's service, right? Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And now I'm sending you out to do the same, you know. So to have the heart of a servant, you need to be grateful, not just for salvation, though, but for the opportunity to take on the yoke. With Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Let's, let's work together. I want to serve and have you serve with me, and we can learn from him in that. Now, how do you know if you're grateful in your service? Is there a joy in your heart at the thought of having the opportunity to be a blessing to someone? You know, are you cheerful? The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And this brings us to our second attitude that we need to have, and that is love, you know. Obviously, Jesus said, you know, this is the first and foremost commandment is to love God. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Unfortunately, uh, to have an attitude of love doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to have feelings of love. Because if that was true, there'd be a lot of times in my service that I would probably fail right out of the gate. Love is a commitment uh, to do the best for someone else, even at our own expense. You know, love is what colors and brings life uh, to life. When sometimes we're, we're kind of feel like we're trapped in the, the grayness or the drudgery of, of routine, when we have that grateful heart and a, and a love for what God is and who he's, what he's doing and what we can do, that brings the color to it and the life to it. You know, to love is to serve. To say I love you, when I say I love you, I'm saying I'm here to totally, wholeheartedly serve you. When we say we love someone, that's what we're saying. I'm here to serve you. So we see the servant's heart is filled not only with gratitude for the opportunity to serve, but the love for the one that's being served, God and others. So let's um, look into the next uh, aspect that we want to look into. And to do that, we're going to start reading our passage. So we're starting in Genesis uh, 24, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. Let's do that now. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, 
And the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had uh, charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing... To follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he rose and he went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. All right, so in verse 10, we see that uh, the ser- Abraham's servant is able to take a variety of good things uh, with him. The Lord has provided these things. You know, how does God provide for our task in the task that he's assigned us? Well, in this case, the journey was going to be a, a long journey. And so there was going to be many precious items to bring, some to be consumed along the way and some to be shared with the bride and her family and as a representation of Abraham's wealth and power. So they would have an idea of what kind of family that uh, this uh, young lady would be marrying into. Let's see. And so what we're going to be looking at for our second aspect is a servant's help. And how God helps us. You know, ultimately, God is the help of a servant. And he provides all that is needed. And he does this in a variety of ways. You know, uh, so let's look at four of them. First of all, we see that he provides guidance. So in our passage so far, uh, Abraham has given guidance uh, to uh, the servant. But you'll notice that the servant questions him about the, you know, the guide, the guidance, the instructions. You know, is he trying to find a loophole to get out of it? You know, no. Um, what he's trying to do is get clarity. Because he's never saying, I'm not willing to go. I'm not willing to try. I mean, let me look at your plan, study it out, and if I like it, then I'll consider it. No, he's going. But he wants to get a little more information, and, and that's a good thing, you know. Um, and for us, when we seek God's, we need to seek God to follow him and if we're going to understand his plan. I think we see that as a picture of the angel that we see, that I will send my angel before you. But in a sense to me, it's like, well, I need to seek God and follow what he asks me to do if I'm able to understand and fulfill it. And we see this modeled in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, here he is, God the Son, and yet every morning, no matter what kind of day he had before, he was up early, he was meeting with the Father, and actually you would see how his Father's instructions during that prayer time affected that day's planning. You know, some, you know Mark 1, we see where 
Jesus has spent you know, the whole day healing and teaching, and then he gets home to uh, Peter's house, and then, boom, everyone's at the door. So with his compassion, he's going to reach out to them and, and do some more. And yet, um, he's up early the next morning. And then Peter's like, Lord, where are you? We've got some great plans. We, we're, we've already you know, got all the, the arena set up. We're going to bring you out, and then we've got all these people coming. You know what? The Father gave me another plan, you know, and I'm glad I touched base with him because he said, we're moving on from here. Because I came to preach to everybody, not just one place at one time. So that's why it's important to understand, uh, to be in touch with God and his word. And today we have the completed word of God for our guidance and the Holy Spirit himself uh, to, prov to provide us with that. So the next um, help that God provides is spiritual gifts. Now, there's a number of gifts, and here's some listed, administration, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving helps, hospitality, leadership, mercy, and teaching. And, and this isn't all of them. But you God, each of these gifts is an enhancement of the responsibility that we all have as Christians. You know, all of us should be serving in some degree or another in all these gift areas, whether we have the gifts or not. But God gives some uh, of us a special enhancement, ability to, uh, to, to stand out in a sense for the purpose of not, hey, look at me, I'm, well, in this case, I'm up here, right? Um, but it's like, no, so that others, as we watch someone exercise their gift, maybe in faith or in helps, um, we can learn from them how they do that. Because I'm, because I don't have the gift of giving, do I, am I not to give? No. If I don't have the gift of faith, am I not to believe? To help? No, but so the purpose that God has given gifts is for others, for all of us to learn from each other because God has given us all gifts. Um, now, sometimes, though, um, when we are serving, oh, you know, I do want to share this. Um, ah, yes. How do you know what your gift is? Well, the best way is to try serving in a lot of different areas, um, right? And then um, when you do that, those around you can be able to say, wow, God was really blessing you there. And in your heart, you go, wow, I was really enjoying that. You know, it's not wrong to enjoy ministry. You know, it's great. You know, I remember the first time, from my personal experience, I'll share a story about when I discovered a gift that I had, or at least someone else shared that with me. And that was uh, when I was a new believer, early 1980s, and... Um, I didn't know what my gifts were, but I knew what I wanted to do. And at that time, I was trying my hand at, at writing a music and performing it. Uh, and when I became a believer, I started writing Christian songs. And actually, I, I shared some of them from the stage. Um, it was after one of these times that Jim Callahan met me out, and I still remember, out in the hallway. He says, Bob, you have the gift of teaching, because he was listening to my lyrical content. I go, oh, okay, what do I do with that? Well... I started as a, a SBC discussion leader, you know, and then you try teaching a lesson, and then, you know, BCT, and then you, and you start expanding from there. Now, just because I just want to make this point, when you have a gift, doesn't necessarily mean, wow, you're going to shoot to the top of the class and be that guy. It could be that in the time and place that you have it, there, the body might have other needs, you know, and so you have your heart, but the heart of a servant is willing and grateful for the opportunity to serve wherever the need is. But as you learn what your gifts are, then you have a better idea, and, and the leadership can see and look and say, ah, 
I noticed that you're, you're doing a, uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's great. Well, let's see if we can't help you do that more often. Okay, so let's go on to the next help that God gives us, and that is spiritual fruit. Now, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but this is a help, and God provides fruit uh, for the purpose of ministry. You know, fruit uh, of the Spirit represent the character traits of God that He wants to see grown in us. And whereas gifts are um, God's choice, God decides what gifts we have, but with fruit, He works with us, works together with us. And as we go through life's experiences and we respond rightly to these experiences, His gifts are formed in us. And let's look at um, the nine gifts that we know. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there was a time when I thought, oh, great, I, I got fruit. So let, you know, let's let it hang on the tree for everybody to see, or I'll put it on a basket uh, on a shelf or something. Said, no, God has provided us fruit in our life to be a blessing to those around us. They are provided to prepare us and equip us and others uh, in our service to the Lord. Because, see, more than, than that, fruit, think about it, fruit is nourishment. It's to be used as nourishment and is meant to be shared uh, for the blessing and building of, of others. And so as I receive love, I'm going to give love and joy and peace and, and all the rest. Um, and as each fruit is received and enjoyed, the seeds are released and they are, become implanted and then more fruit uh, has the opportunity to grow. So who was Abraham's servant to share this fruit with? Think about it, you know. He's going on this, this journey. Uh, it's with his companions, right? Companions. God provides companions for us in the ministry. Um, now, because Abraham was a great master, and he's got, a guy's got 10 camels filled with all this gold and all this stuff, you're going to have at least five or six guys with him, you know? Now, the interesting thing is, I've read this passage, and maybe it's just me. I'm curious to hear from you guys, but I've read this over and over because I, I read, try to do my one-year Bible, by the way, Next week, great time to start. If you haven't started this practice, get some guidance from the Lord on a daily basis. You're going to be able to go get it and receive it. So all that to say that I've read this, this chapter, I can't tell you how many times. Um, and I always thought it was just Abraham's servant doing this thing with God helping him along. But in fact, you know, it says in this passage three times that he had companions with him. Now, I'll just share one of those. Uh, verse 54, then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent, and spent the night. It's not a spoiler. We'll get to the story. But, um, but it's like, whoa, it, he has men. Of course he did, right? And God has companions. And for me, you know what the lesson is that I didn't see those guys as I read through it, probably not as well as I should have. And sometimes in my service to God, I don't see the companions that God has placed in my life, that he wants to wants me to share the ministry with, or that I need to share their ministry and help them and support them as well. So these are all helps that God um, provides for us. Because, you know, this journey can be long. In this case, you know, so interesting in, in chapter 10, oh, he's going to the city of Nahor, and then we get to 11, boom, we're there. But in actuality, the city of Nahor, Nahor was the brother of Abraham, and the city that he resided in was most likely uh, Haran. And Haran from Hebron, where we're, we're, our starting point is, is about 
468 miles, and it would take about 17 days at that time. Uh, and so the Abraham servants got some time on, on the journey to think about this plan. Okay, you know, Abraham said, I want you to go and get my son a bride. Great. How am I going to do that? Uh, well, God will show you. God will lead you. Okay, that's good. Um, but he has time to interact and think about it and plan. And so, but the key is, you know, for a plan to be successful, we need to be dependent on God, and we need to make him our hope. And that's our third aspect that we're going to be looking at now as we really get into uh, this text. The servant's hope. Now, if you look at a dictionary to see how they define hope, you're going to read a feeling of, a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. And synonyms include aspiration, desire, wish, and pipe dream. Yeah. Because this is because your hope is only as good as the object you place it in. And the fact is the world doesn't have a whole lot of places to put its hope that it can depend on. And you can see that revealed in their definition of hope. But, you know, when we look to the Bible, the Bible speaks about hope. It's not wishful thinking, right? Hope is expressed as a confident expression when it's placed in God's word and in God himself. Because God is faithful and what he says is dependable. And it's been proven over and over again for thousands of years. So why is this important, that the servant have hope? Because hope is the inspiration and the motivation behind our service. You know, as you're trudging through the muck and the mire of the day, you know, what's going to get you through that? What's going to help you persevere? It's knowing, having hope that, first of all, in the one who calls you, and that in the end, it will be worth it. So hope is very instrumental in our service. Hope is what puts the persevere in perseverance, and it's what puts the resolve in resolution. Now, when we fail to persevere or we give up on a resolution, you know, that means that maybe we didn't have any hope to begin with or we placed it in an unreliable place. And it's displayed, hope is displayed in two different ways. So let's look at that. Uh, first of all, in the, in the servant's focus and faithfulness. And these always go hand in hand. So we're going to look at them intertwined together as we continue through our story. What I have found, first of all, let's do that. We're going to read 11 through 14 right here, and I'll try to remember to turn the page when we get there. Someone wants to, <clears throat> or something like that, I'll try to pay attention. No. Okay, um, or I can read it from here. Okay, so this is verse 11, right? He made the camels kneel down. We're, we're, we're there, we're at, we're at uh, the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water in evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who... Uh, answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. So he had some time to, to think of a plan, and this is what he came up with. Um, however, 
uh, the more time we spend, you know, what I found is the more time that I spend trying to figure out God's plan and, and, and less of mine, I, I'm more apt to have success. Um, especially, you know, as I include him in my plans, I have more of a sense of what he wants to do. And now notice how specific the uh, request of the servant is. I'm very specific, right? Sometimes I think the reason that our prayers don't get answered is because they're too vague. We don't know when they're answered. Lord, um, just show me the girl. Just show, just show me the girl, and then we'll be on our way. Like, uh, okay. Uh, and then she comes out, and she does everything she does. And, Lord, how come you didn't show it to me? Well, I did. You just you didn't look more closely or commune with me about my plan on how I wanted to reveal her to you, right? And so, but fortunately, the servant did. And, um, but here's a question that I've had is, why did it seem like a, the servant just settled for the first girl that came out of the gate? I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, okay, master wants, this is my master's son. I think, let's go into town. Let's find the palace. Let's find out where all the upper class hang out. You know, and I think we need a, a woman of noble bearing, you know, someone with their nose in the air or something like, I don't know. But, um, you know, but he didn't. He said, you know, why is that? Well, because as a servant, you know, he, he had the opportunity to witness Abraham and Sarah in their marriage. And he saw that for a successful marriage, you need to have a servant's heart. You need to have one that's filled with gratitude and love and a focus on on God. Because character matters more than position, you know. The servant was commanded to bring back a bride, not a princess, you know. But we know that when you find the one with the heart of a servant, and that person is a, who's serving the true God, they're a prince or a princess uh, because they're a child of the eternal king, right? So let's see if that was successful. Let's pick up with, uh, starting with verse 15. I think we're going to, yeah, we're going to catch it all here. All right. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. You know, you know, I find that when I follow God's plan, it's usually successful. Now, sometimes success isn't determined by what I think, but the closer I look, I, Lord, it didn't go the way I thought. But it, the more I understand and am open to, as his servant, to receive and understand his plan, then I see, oh, we have a bigger picture in mind. But in this case, it, everything worked out according to plan. We see that, um, notice that you know, we're talking about focus and faithfulness, right? Focus on the master, faithfulness in the mission. We want a little more alliteration there. Um, and he was focused. I like that last verse. Meanwhile, the man 
was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. He didn't jump the gun. Wow, she, she said, boom. I asked her to, if I could have a drink, and, he, and she said, yeah, uh, and uh, your camel's too. Great, let's go. You're the girl. No, because it's one thing to have the intent to say, hey, I'll do this, but it's the follow-through that's uh, utterly important, and, the, and she had that. Now, let's look at a little bit more. We've been looking at the Abraham servant. Let's look at Rebecca and see what kind of a servant she was, you know, in her focus and faithfulness. You know, I like someone notice some of these key words first in uh, verse 18. You know, she quickly lowered her jar. And in, and in verse 20, we, uh, let's look at that verse as well. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. So we see, okay, she's got a mission. She's focused and she's faithful on it. And, you know, considering that a camel may drink up to 20 gallons uh, each, Watering 10 camels meant at least an hour of hard work. And there she was going back and forth doing it. And the guy's just like, okay, that's eight. Okay, let's see, let's see if she can finish this thing off. Uh, and she did. Um, now, here's a question for you. Remember I told you that Abraham had servants. So these camels, 10 camels there, but you got like five, six guys, maybe more, just hanging out, standing around, watching her sitting on their camel maybe, you know, and I'm sure uh, and the servant said, hey, I got a plan here, just stay, just, do, just stay out of the way and let's see what happens, okay? Let me ask you, do you think that the, uh, Rebecca might have gotten a little irritated? These guys are just standing around. I mean, come on. I, I said I'd do it, but really? You know, uh, you know, Irritation itself is not a problem, you know. Um, it's just a low-grade, low-level anger, you know. The Bible says it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin, you know. It's not the emotion that's the problem. It's what we do with it, right? Because anger is a physiological response. It's like a check engine light that tells you there's an issue with what's powering you, with what's driving you. Specifically, we get angry when we feel that an injustice has occurred, that something I value has been threatened. You know, there's something that I want to protect. So if we're feeling irritated, we need to ask ourselves, who's the injustice been done to? What is it that I want to protect? My values or the Lord's? Well, the first indicator is the attitude of gratitude, right? Am I still excited to be serving, to be, you know, helping out in this situation? Um, or has my focus shifted a little bit from what the Lord values? You know, am I thinking about, wow, this is a waste of my time. I have somewhere else I could be and something else I need to be doing, you know. So how do we change that attitude? Well, we need to refocus back on the master and continue faithfully in the mission. And we need to repent if our irritability has kind of crossed over and been seen in our word or deed, you know. You know what helps me to really uh, find out to get through this irritation, whether I have or not, is to ask God to bless those who irritate me. You know, I can't do this sincerely unless I have a heart full of gratitude and love for them. And so that's the process. Lord, help me to bless them. Okay, I'm not there yet. You know, help me. And, and then as I do that, 
then you feel it's real, right? Uh, fake it till you make it? I don't know. But, it, but we go through that action uh, to do that. So let's continue in our story. We're just going to look at verse uh, 33 right now. Um, no, no, we're going to, well, let's see what happens. Well, we're going to look at 22. Okay. Here, as we read through this, we're going to go through this, and we're just going to look and see some more of the servant and Rebecca and their uh, faithfulness and their focus. 22. Oh. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. And that... Let's see. Yes. Verse 28. And the girl ran and told her mother's household about the, these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels and gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. I told you there were some guys there. Now, I'm going to squeeze this in. I wanted to tell you about this thing I saw in the text. Um, we see, you know, Abraham's servant and Rebecca are still there, but this is the first time we're introduced to Laban, okay? And we know later on, we're going to learn that Laban is very duplicitous. But what I want you to see, this is the very first time we see him, and notice what the very first thing that is said about him and about where his focus is on and what his hope is. And that is um, verse 30. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, Boom. Then he, he was a super nice guy. Took care of everything. <laughs> but it, it, to me, it's like, so this is where some people put their hope. I'm going to do what I need to do because I see what I want. This is where I'm putting my hope. And as we know uh, later in the story, uh, this comes all out. It's just interesting that this is pointed out the first time we see him. All right, let's continue. Um, verse 33. But when food was set before him to the servant to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Laban said, speak on. So what we're not going to read right now is verses 34 through 48, because what they are is, you know, the servant is now going to share with Laban and, and Milcah and Bethuel and whoever's there everything we've already read. Word for word, almost verbatim, and and. What impressed me, so read it, but when you do, this one, I, I almost hear in the voice of the servant this sense of, of wonder and, amaz and amazement because he doesn't want to leave a detail out of what, how it all went down and what God did and, how, and 
it was just amazing to him. So we didn't leave anything out. So we've read it. Um, but you know, I know because I, I, I can experience that. I know sometimes I might bore you with some stories because I got to tell you every little thing that God did along the way. And I've heard you share those uh, stories of testimony with me too. And they're awesome and they're great. So make sure you read that. So for now, though, we're going to move on to the end of the story, and we'll start with verse 49, where he says, So now, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, Well, the matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here's Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be with the, uh, the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So we see that, you know, I'm not going to sit down and eat. I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to be deterred. Uh, I'm, I'm going to continue uh, with being faithful to the mission until it's accomplished. Um, you know, service is not a to-do list, but it's the point where we interact with Jesus because he wants to spend time with us. And so he creates these situations where we can do that, and a lot of it is in service. He wants to connect with us. He wants to have a closer relationship with us. And this is gained by spending time with him. Now, and I think it's, we can see how his relationship with Abraham's servant has uh, evolved as well. Um, I think I'm jumping the gun here. I see it. Let's just see what happens next. All right. Ah, of course. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he, browsed, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him, his companions, ate and drank and spent the night. When they rose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with a few days. Say 10, if you ever want to know how long a few days is. It can be up to 10. Uh, uh, afterward, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me that I may go to my master. So he spent the night. He's ready to go. And well, let's, let's hang out a little bit more. No, I have, a, I have, I'm focused on the master, not on you. I'm focused on, of course, there's a time and place, right? Here's the thing I wanted to let you know. Though we are called to be, to serve people, we are not primarily the servants of people. We are the servants of God. And God, we have to follow God's plan when to move, all right? And so here we say, you know, Abraham's servant is saying, no, we got to go. But what I, I wanted to point out here is, we can see it. Maybe I'm just seeing this in the text, but see if you can't see it too. When we look at how the Abraham, Abraham servant addresses the Lord, four times he, he refers to him as the God of my master Abraham. The God of my master Abraham. But here, after he's had this, this extensive time and seeing God do these awesome things, uh, what do we see in verse uh, 56? He said to them, Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. You know, wow, he's a step closer to the relationship. God's desire and purpose is to get closer to him. And now he's not just the God of his master. He's, he's my Lord, too. And you will find that as you spend time in service, that your relationship with God will uh, continue to grow and you will be blessed in it. Now, 
Let's look at uh, Rebecca again as we uh, start to conclude this. Verse 57, and they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now I want you to think about this. These guys just showed up yesterday. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, let's go. You know, what is that? Is that sup- it seems a little quick to me, right? But then I started thinking about it. And I, here we have a woman who has the heart of a servant, puts her hope in God. Do you think it's unreasonable to think that she hasn't been praying to her God? God, when are you going to give me this man that I can serve in tandem with? When is he going to show? You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, all this happens. You know, I think it's perhaps her prayer that set all this in motion because God loves to intertwine our prayers into the fulfillment and accomplishment of his will. You know, so are you maybe waiting for a special someone? Or something, like maybe the opportunity to try something new in ministry, to take on more responsibility. Well, are you serving in a way now that will let it be known that you have a heart and the hope of a true servant? You know, Rebecca had no idea this was going to happen. She just, I'm focused on doing what I need to be doing. And as she was, she was being watched. And God had a plan and timing. And so I'm not at all surprised now, she says, this is it. This is, this, this is happening, God. Let's do it. Let's go. So let's, now we're going to uh, look at the completion of our story here. Uh, right. Thus they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men, and his men, companions. Uh, they blessed Rebecca and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah rose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Um, Before we move on, um, God has a new, I want you to see this as we read this final part. God has a new plan, a new mission for Rebecca, but she's just not sitting back and letting it happen to her. She's an active participant in it, All right? Watch as we continue here. Verse 62, now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahiroi, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camels. She said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We have our hallmark uh, ending here. Uh, or maybe beginning. There's more to the story, right? Um, you know, we were created to serve. So it shouldn't be surprising that until we fully embrace being a servant, that we won't really experience the greatest freedom. Um, see, no one can stop us from having a heart full of gratitude and love. No one can stop us from ministering and serving to others. Because serving is a choice. You know, I choose whether I'm going to serve, to love, 
to rejoice, to pray. You know, uh, all these are commandments that I can choose to obey or not, but uh, they're more than commands. They're my very lifeblood. The reason that these are such a high priority for God is because this is where I'm going to meet him and enjoy him and be with him. I need, to, I need to do these things if I really want to truly experience life, to truly understand the heart of my Savior and where he can be found. So where can he be found? Well, the psalmist says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And Jesus said he would be with the least of these, ministering to them, serving them, meeting their needs. And that's where we need to be. You know, when we see him on that final day face-to-face and to give an account of how we lived our life for him, we can't, not one of us is going to be able to say, Lord, I had such great plans, but I wasn't able to fulfill it. That circumstances didn't work out. You know, the Lord is not going to say, welcome, awesome and successful servant. No, he's going to say, welcome, good and faithful servant who did what I asked with what I gave him to do it with. You know, as we enter the new year, Jesus promises to give us all the help we need. We just need to give him our heart and make him our hope. So let's make that our number one resolution this year. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and thank you for your faithfulness to us, your focus on us. You just want to get closer and closer to us, and you have set up so many ways for that to happen. Save us from ourselves, Lord, as we distract ourselves with the the things of this culture. Lord, help us to spend more time with you, to seek your path and to follow it. Lord, we thank you that you are so faithful in in leading us and loving us. We want to give you all the praise and glory for this in Jesus' name. Amen.